When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. Bills Mafia, happy Tuesday night on the eve of training camp. This is Shout, a Buffalo Bills football pod, Buffalo football podcast, and I'm so excited. I'm, I'm running all over town, Ryan. Where where we had the pre, the pregame show over at uh, Channel Four. Got home, got the suit off, got the Shout shirt on. We're ready to go. He's Ryan Talbot. I'm Matt Perino. This is the Shout Football Podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. Special guest tonight. We're so excited about this. Uh, you, you're so gracious with your time. Patrick DeMarco, former Bills fullback, captain. Um, dude, thank you so much for taking the time. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. appreciate you guys having me on. I'm uh, getting adjusted to not playing and now coaching. So um, it's been a cool transition. And um, I'm just super excited for the opportunity to kind of give back to the to the next generation of football and then pass along all the knowledge I learned from my previous coaches. And um you know, just love on them and um, kind of show them the way. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go through a, a bunch of stuff tonight. I, I know Bills fans, when we announced this a couple of days ago, a lot of people were so pumped about uh, the interview to kind of figure out where you are, what you're doing, get a little bit of, of your story. So I think that that's like a, a really cool place to start. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, make sure you hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, uh, get this out to as many people as possible. I, this is a really fun interview. Um what are you up to right now? Because I know you're you're now in South Carolina. You're you're back at the school, and and you got you're wearing a couple different hats. Yeah, so um, we just moved two weeks ago from Atlanta, Georgia, to Columbia, South Carolina, where I took the job here at the university, and I'm um, working with the football program as a football analyst, which is kind of works with the offense along with the special teams. Kind of gives me a chance to do both of those, and then I also have a role. Um, in the player development, um, I'm the assistant director of player relations. So that's kind of helping out with former player relations and also doing some mentoring, some player development stuff with our current guys. So two things I was really interested in as a player. Uh, and now on the other end of it, now I'm able to jump right in. Uh, you know, I played for Coach Beamer at South Carolina when, when, I, was, when I was here from 2007 to 2010. Uh, now he's the head coach here and and he did. Uh, and he wanted to get me back, so I'm super fired up. And um, you know, go Gamecocks. <laughs> and that was a pretty easy transition, I would I would think for you, because in a lot of ways, I mean, telling a little bit of a story. I mean, we didn't talk too much about it on the last show about my experience with you, Patrick. But 
there's a couple guys in the locker room every year that I feel like media members kind of gravitate towards that are able to kind of go to and build kind of like a, you know, a comfort level a guy like Lorenzo Alexander was always one of them for me. And, and you were as well. I was only there for a short period of time when you were in Buffalo. Uh, but every time I, I talked to you, it was, it was, you learned so much and I could tell that teammates of yours in Buffalo, I felt like they learned a lot from you as well. So was that had kind of been like an easy transition to kind of go into that uh, mentoring role? Oh, no doubt. It's, um, you know, it's always been something when I made it year four or five in the NFL, I started to like kind of like find a role for myself. And I was able to start mentoring the younger guys and showing them kind of the way. And I didn't really have that as a player. And that was, I just, the way I kind of translated to guys is like, I was like a backpack. I'd find a, when I was in Kansas city, my second year, I would basically just follow around a 10 or 11 year vet and literally do whatever they did, whenever they did it. Like I was probably creepy and annoying doing it, but I was learning how to be a pro. Um, and then on the back end, like as soon as I was year four, five, six, and I was able to like kind of solidify myself as a pro, um, I wasn't going to let a rookie or a first or second year guy have to do those things that I was doing. I was going to show them the way I was going to take them by their arm and bring them with me. So, um, now coaching, it's it's pretty similar. Like I spend a lot of time up in the office, but majority of the time I spend down in like the cafeteria, hanging out with the guys, chopping it up. They all have questions about the NFL and experiences and with this new NIL stuff. It's it's chaos, but uh, it's all good stuff. I'm super excited about it. Yeah. And, you know, another thing you bring to it is that culture aspect of um, bringing a certain culture back to South Carolina. And you were a really pivotal piece for the Bills. You were part of that 2017 free agent class, Sean McDermott's first free agent class that was really trying to establish a different culture. Because before you guys arrived, you, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Stephen Hauschka, the list goes on and on. Buffalo had suffered that long playoff drought. Do you remember anything about what Sean McDermott maybe said to you when, when they were trying, they were pursuing you and trying to bring you in? Yeah. I mean, so we had, we had a prior relationship from playing against them when I was in Atlanta, he was in Carolina. So I didn't know him that well personally, but I knew him from a coaching standpoint. I knew he was a pain in the butt to play against because he just loaded the box and just fire blitzes at you left and right. Um, but he knew kind of the competitor I was. I had a relationship with Luke Keekley uh Kurt Coleman and Thomas Davis who were prominent guys in his defense so I think that relationship and me being buddies with them off the field they probably poured into him a little bit hey Pat's a guy you want to help set the culture then I was I was in Atlanta for four years where where we were able to do some really cool things and Coach Quinn came in and kind of turned that program around as well so I was able to take pieces from everywhere I've been and kind of put it together to um you know, to, to help revamp Buffalo and, and get, get the thing rolling and the machine, man, they're rolling right now. Yeah. We're going to talk quite a bit about, about that. I'm excited uh, to dive into it, but let's go back first to, you know, where it ended for you, because I always, you know, I was thinking about it all last season and it was so fast because, you know, you could hit training camp and the expectations for this team were, were through the roof for Josh, for what they kind of built. The Stefan Diggs trade had just happened and then we got to training camp and I felt like, you know, your story kind of got, it, it was just part of a, a really fast process. It, one day you were there, one day you were gone. So I, I'm wondering, take us back to that. What happened? Did you know that it was, was coming or was it a surprise at all? No. So I, um, I had an issue with stingers kind of all through my career, which are just kind of a little nerve damage stuff going down from your neck down to your arm. 
and it's predominantly always been on my right side. And I think it was the third or fourth day of camp. I went to block AJ Klein and I, I kind of got a, got a zinger and I kind of like pulled myself off the field for a little bit. And then I, I'm hard headed. So I grinded through and I finished practice, but something just didn't feel right. And I went in the training room um, and I had them check it out. And they're like, man, you lost, like you have no strength in your right arm. Um, mm. So we went and got some MRIs and just some CT scans and all the stuff in my neck. Um, and I have, I mean, I've played fullback in the NFL for 10 years, so I'm, I'm pretty beat up from, from a neck standpoint, neck and shoulder. Um, so there was just some, some damage that I was advised that it's, it's going to be something I'm going to, I'm going to continue to get those stingers and it's going to be something that I'm just going to have to deal with. Um, so I was advised by a couple, couple my second opinion doctor advised me that football should maybe be a thing of the past. Um, so uh, you know, we had a we had our third child coming on the way. Uh, talked hard with my wife, prayed about it a bunch, and um, just kind of let it run its course. I uh, had a, some tough conversations with uh, Brandon Bean and, and Coach McDermott about it all, and um, you know, they they decided to they were either going to put me on an IR or or waive me, let me go home and see my family, and um, we decided just to let them waive me so I could go home and see my family, not be on IR and have to stay in Buffalo. My family's back in Atlanta. Um, so that was kind of, that was a story. It sucked because I was, I was super pumped about the season. I knew the team was going to be super successful. Um, you know, I, I wanted to finish out, I signed a four-year contract there. I wanted to finish out that fourth year and, and really see it through. But, um, you know, way it happened, it is what it is. This, this game, it's a hundred percent injury rate. Uh, and I was, I was characterized in that, but, um, you know, I, I had a great run, uh, great, three full seasons in Buffalo and then, then my fourth training camp. So, you know, it, it, it was a heck of a run. So I, you, you did mention a little bit there about the conversation with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. Um, how did they handle that when you, when you came to them? Was it something where I know you said they, they gave you the option of being on the IR or going back home first, but what do you remember about those conversations with those two when, when you knew it probably was the end of the road? Yeah, I mean, they were emotional at times uh, just because I created such a great relationship with those guys. I mean, they were like family at that point. I've been there for, for four years with them and, and went through the good, went through the bad. Um, so especially me and Sean, like we had some we had some tough conversations and had a bunch of hugs. Um, you know, when the day I left, I, I walked in everybody's office and I gave them a big hug and I told them thank you and I appreciate how appreciative I was for everything they'd done for me in my career. But specifically Sean and Brandon, I mean, they, um, you know, they changed our family's life. Um, you know, they gave me, gave me a contract and opportunity to go play in Buffalo for four years. Um, and you know, I'd, I'd never take that for granted because, you know, I was, I was a, I was an undrafted free agent who was with three teams in my first three years and literally had to scrap and fight my way on the rosters my first couple of years. So for them to give me a four year contract with two years of a guarantee, like that was, I mean, that was something I worked so hard for. So I was very appreciative of them. But, um, you know, the conversation on me decided to be done um, and having to walk away from football was not easy. Um, I love this game. That's why I'm coaching now. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was tough, but it, it was the right decision for me and my family. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So the last game that you played in then was that wild card playoff matchup against the Houston Texans. Uh, we never got to speak to you after that game, but what do you remember about that matchup? 
I remember having like a 75 yard Hail Mary throw to me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about it. Um, no, I, I just remember just like a dog fight. I remember, you know, they came back in the third and fourth quarter on us. I think we were up two scores and they came back. We had a couple chances to kick field goals in the games and it didn't work out. And then we went to overtime and Josh threw me that 75 yard bomb. Um, I remember going to him the day after. I was like, what were you thinking? Did you think I was like somebody I wasn't? And he was like, <laughs> no, I figured like, you know, if, if they picked it off, it was a punt, like whatever. I was like, that's true. And he's like, but dang, Pat, like if you could just jump higher, you got in great position. Like you made such an athletic move on it. You just can't jump anymore because you're old. And I'm like, <laughs> so but I, that was an emotional game too, because I like that was after year nine. I knew, you know, just contractually my, my the fourth year of my contract, I was getting paid a decent amount. I knew it was going to be a numbers game. So I didn't know if it, that was the end if, or what it was going to be. So um, not to mention I lost the Super Bowl in that stadium. So um, mm. I hate that place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I'll spend more time enjoying everything that summer has to offer and less time worrying about getting to the store with Tops Pickup and Delivery. Shop for your groceries online. Choose Pickup or Delivery and Tops will bring in the groceries right to you. Visit TopsMarkets.com to get started. You know, that game in a lot of ways, I felt like it it kind of set the table for what the Bills went on to do. And like you go back and, you know, I'm a big NBA fan also. And, you know, I go back to like when I started really getting into the game, watching like the Sacramento Kings and Dallas Mavericks back in like the late 90s, early 2000s. And the, the narrative always was like young teams have to learn how to win. And I feel like in that game, you know, I know that all the jokes were made about some of the plays that Josh made, but they were lessons that I feel like a young quarterback that was still learning to play the game needed to learn. How important was that for them? Yeah, I mean, like literally Josh needed to learn that he can't do it by himself. Um, and, and, and obviously this year he spread the ball around so well. Um, and that like as good as you, you can only be as good as the guy next to you. Um, so he learned to really divvy the ball up and he learned to just to not kind of not go out of the game plan. Um, so it's just kind of like that. And, um, you know, Josh's growth. I mean, when I was there for training camp just last year, like I could tell his maturity and his leadership skills, like he was so groomed and ready to roll. Like when I showed up day one, I was like, who are you? Are you Matt Ryan? I played with him for a long time. You're, you're going into your third year and you're like, you're so well manicured and you're, you're literally like taking on this leadership role. And it was incredible to see. So I mean, just, just in those couple of conversations I had with him, I was like, all right, they're going to be in good shape this year. Um, so super proud of Josh. I was in contact with him all year last year with most of the guys, uh, as I will be again this year. Cause you know, those are my guys, I blood, sweat and tears on the field with them. And, um, you know, those are, those are things you'll never be able to take away. So, um, yep, there it is. God, if I <laughs> yeah, before jump, like four inches higher. Yeah, Ryan has a follow-up, but I thought we just have to marvel at this because honestly, it's perfect how this picture is. I mean, you you could just you could tell your kids that hey, you know, while they're young enough, yeah, daddy made that catch. Don't don't you worry about it. Daddy, <laughs> it it looks like, it looks good. Yeah, do it again, daddy, and I'm gonna be like, no, 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 that was a one-time thing. 
<laughs> so, so going back to Josh, now obviously he ascended this past season in terms of completion percentage across the board. But was there a moment where you played with him where you said, oh, man, this kid's going to be really special in the league? Yeah, I mean, I, you could tell it from day one. His arm strength, his knowledge of the game of football, what he can do um, to extend plays. Um, you knew he had a special skill set. It was just about him maturing and having, you know, in a sense, it was it was like uh, it was learning by the burn. Make the mistakes now so you don't make them later on. Um, and he, I mean, he kind of embraced that. Like it, it, his fresh or his rookie year, he played a bunch. Like played in the very first game against Baltimore in the pouring rain and we were down by 40 points and Josh Allen's in there literally grinding it out. He probably got sacked five times that game, but dude was just a warrior out there. So, um, I mean, honestly, I, I knew from first couple of minutes talking to him that this is a guy that's, that's going to be a franchise quarterback here in Buffalo and, and he's going to be something special. You know, speaking about something special in Buffalo, I mean, you really look at now, this run that Sean McDermott has had since he's been here. And I mean, really, if it ended today, what he brought this franchise out of, I mean, the, the appreciation for that, I don't think that, you know, would, would happen in, in as many markets as it does here because of how bad it was and how good it was in the nineties. So that fan base that really remembers it, it's special for them. So I'm wondering, do you have any Sean McDermott stories? Cause I think everybody sees the Sean McDermott of, you know, the really super serious, occasionally a little jokey, but, you know, he's he's no nonsense. He's he's very serious. But you guys all seem to just, you know, love him and, and put everything on the line for him. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's an incredible human being, first of all. Like, he's a he's a Christian man through and through, and he, and, and he lives that out in, in the team meeting room um, and stuff like that. So I think there's a sense of, of belief and trust in him as, as our coach just by the way he coaches and the way he handles life, the way he loves his wife, the way he loves his kids, um, stuff like that. So just that sense of, uh, of that's who our leader is. Um, I think that kind of wins everybody over as it is right away, but then his demeanor and his, you know, he, he, he has great, uh, people, personal skills where he understands when people are at their worst, when they're at their best, he knows when, when, when to dig in, when to pull back, like, he just has a great sense of emotional intelligence um, so that he knows when to back off, when to push forward. And he, and he's a player's coach too. Like when during training camp, there were times where he'd have the captains come in and be like, Hey, I feel like we were a little sluggish yesterday. You think we've done too much in a row? And we look at him like, yeah. And he goes, good. Cause tomorrow's only half day practice. And we're like, all right, this guy gets it. So um, he's just a guy that you root for uh, and that you love. Um, I mean, honestly, he was the greatest fit for Buffalo. Um, stepping in there, um, you know, I, he's never backed away from anything challenging in his life. Um, so going in there and, and taking that challenge on and, and going full speed ahead his first year making the playoffs. Like I remember, I remember coming back from, um, oh, who was it that year? Was it Miami? Yeah, I was coming back from Miami and showing up to the airport, and there was 10,000 people outside the airport. It was incredible. Uh, and then it turned into, like, almost an every-week occurrence for the next two or three years. Every time we won a big game, we showed up, and there was 2,500, 5,000. So just a tribute to the fans in Buffalo, uh, the people they are, um, kind of the culture that Sean's 
that Sean's bringing to the whole city of Buffalo, not just the team. Um, just a family and atmosphere, family environment. And it's, um, you know, I'm always a Sean McDermott fan. Hmm. And that fan, you're right. That fan base is loyal, devoted. They they've been through a lot of bad times with this fan uh, with the teams over the years, early 2000s, and they've stuck by him. But you know, going back to last season, one, did you watch a lot of the Bills games? And two, was it difficult watching it, knowing that you know I I had a role on this team? I you envisioned, like you said, you knew this team was going to be good. Yeah, you know, I watched a, I watched a bunch of games last year. Like I was. I mean, how could I not? Like these were the guys that I literally, a month and a half prior, I was like getting dressed in the locker room. I was like, "Let's go to War Boys." Um, so I, I mean, I watched. I mean, probably every game I could I could get access to if if, if my kids weren't watching Disney Plus on the TV or doing something. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I rooted for them, and and I like I knew the success was coming. I knew that, uh, you know, from the first three years there and the growing pains year one, but still making the playoffs year two, kind of dipping down a little bit. Then year three, okay, the machine's starting to roll, you know, other than the upset, other than losing the comeback game in Houston. Like, we, we were on to probably do big things that year as well. Um, so, I, yeah, rooted for him, pulled for him, watched dang near every game. I was actually uh, earlier today texting with Kelly Skipper, the running backs coach there, asking him a couple. We, we start camp here in, in, in uh, South Carolina a couple weeks or I think a week and a half from today. So I was asking him a couple just tidbits, first time coaching. How do I, how do I go about this? What kind of drills do you think for this? And he was so gracious to take me back right away. Uh, you know, Coach Skip was a huge part of my career, um, helping me out and helping my game grow. So super appreciative of everybody up in Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, while you're there, you know, with Coach Skipper, you know, the run game has been a big topic this offseason. You guys ran the ball so well in. 2019. And I think maybe some of the struggles of that last year was you not being around. <laughs> uh, I'll give you a little credit in that department. And also like how much confidence though, do you have not only in, in Kelly Skipper, the guys that are on the roster, Devin and Zach and a guy like Bobby Johnson, who came in and had an impact for them to get that figured out. Because I think the cool thing, if you're a bills fan or, or someone on the team, the run game doesn't have to be more, um, you know, you don't have to run more. They just probably want to run it a little bit better when they do it. Yeah, you, you got to be efficient in the run game. Like I played in, I played in Kyle Shanahan's offense. That was it was literally really run heavy, and everything was set off off the set up off the run. So I, I the, the run game is is a very pivotal point, especially you know when when you got a guy like Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, like you, Gabe Davis, like you got a bunch of threats out of receiver. If you can just be productive in the run game, first and second down. And if teams are not going to put eight guys in the box, I mean, you could you could have a field day there running the ball. So it's just about being efficient. And, um, you know, from, from a coaching standpoint, like the first couple runs, you, you got to hit a couple of them. You can't go for one, negative one, two. You, you, lose, you lose trust in it and you lose heart, and then it just turns into a pass-happy game. So being able to keep the defense on their toes uh, and not be so one-dimensional is, is pivotal and also take a lot off Josh. Like Josh threw – 40 something balls a game last year, he threw it a ton. So um, I think if, you know, uh, um, Zach was hurt a decent amount last year too, which kind of took away from the run game because he's a downhill powerful guy, uh, him and Devin together. I mean, those are two guys that Devin's as elusive as they come, such a gr such great hands and route runner out of the backfield. And, and Zach's just a little bowling ball. So they're a good little dynamic duo. Um, so I expect big things out of them this year. Um, and then Bobby Johnson, like he, he came in, and he just 
he has such a great personality and such a good demeanor with the guys that he's very easy for guys to flock to. He's a great coach. He's a great mentor. Like he's coached tight end. He's coached offensive line. He knows everything about the interior. So he had, he drew up stuff. We were on pin and pull for us to get angles on guys. We always had a best look. It wasn't just a one dimensional. This is the run. This is all we're going to do. It was always a, Hey, we're going to counter it backside. If they, bring strong rotation or if weak rotation, we're going to get a four call and we're going to plus it over strong and different things that we could do to really attack the, attack the defense, even if they were going to give us an, a bad look, like we were still able to be successful. What does it do for Zach and Devin knowing that the bills didn't go out and necessarily uh, address the position in a significant manner? They did go out and they signed Matt Breida to kind of be that change of pace, speed back, but they didn't go out in the draft and take anyone high. Uh, they didn't throw big money around in free agency. What does that do for them coming off of a year where there was a lot of criticism with the run game? Yeah, I think it gives them some personal confidence. Like it's always as you as a player, you're always eyeing draft day. Like even I was. I'm like, who drafts fullbacks nowadays? But you never know. Sixth or seventh round, like Buffalo could snag somebody, or Atlanta could have snagged somebody when I was there. So um, I think it does show that they that. Obviously, they know what those two guys got. They drafted them both in the third round. Two great talents. I mean, Motor averaged four, almost four and a half, five yards of carry the year before. Uh, and Zach, I mean, didn't I think he was – he led the college football or that conference in rushing um, his, his senior year. So, like, they're both two very talented backs who understand the game. And Coach Skip understands them so well that he's able to get them on point and dialed in. Pick, I mean, I, I was watching – so not to change the subject, but I was watching Devin, Sing Devin Singletary and pass protection last year. Holy smokes. He was rocking dudes. I was so fired up. I was sitting in Atlanta and I was going through all the Buffalo tape and I'm watching him smash these linebackers in the hole. And I'm like, this is stuff that people aren't watching that like this dude struggled so much with it as, as, as a rookie in his second year, this guy was literally one of the best backs in the NFL in pass protections. So it, it so little stuff like that. Sorry to go off subject, but that no. was fired up because Devin's the man. Um, but just little stuff like that that goes under the table. I mean, obviously you don't want your backs in protection as much as they were last year. You want to be able to run them and, and keep the defense honest and not get so much pressure because you, you're able to run the ball. So, um, you know, those two are very are, – are two great backs, and they can come in and really change the game. Hopefully um, they can dial them up early, get them hot. Uh, that was what we did. Like Devin's first game against the Jets, he scored a touchdown. He had like, I think he averaged nine yards of carry his first game his rookie year. So that was kind of mm -hmm. set him up for success. Uh, hopefully they can get him going hot early uh, this year and kind of lean on him later on. Um, no, I, I go off topic whenever you want. Uh, the wisdom and, and knowledge, uh, we love tapping into it. And it's, it's interesting you say that about Devin because I feel like if you read between the lines from what Brandon was saying all offseason when we got a chance to talk to him, he echoed a lot of what you just said. I mean, people, the things that people aren't watching, the things that, you know, in the building they were asking him to do and Zach to do, they were executing it at a high level. And, and maybe there were er, 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 other areas where there were struggles. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you about another guy because it, it's been popular in the chat. Uh, it was reported earlier today that the Bills converted um, Reggie – Gilliam back to a fullback. It, they kind of moved him to a tight end last year. Um, probably has that versatility to do both. What were your impressions of him uh, when you got a chance to be around him and maybe what you saw of him last year? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a freak. Uh, I mean, he's a he's a dude who, like, I mean, I was 
on the, on my way out when he came in. So I think I was thirty. I was thirty two or thirty one when I went to camp last year, and I remember watching him cover his first kick, and I'm like, "Golly, how do fullbacks <laughs> move that fast nowadays?" Um, and well, he was like a kind of a hybrid role, and I'm like, "Man, I can't run like that." Good thing I like have all the techniques and all the fundamental stuff down because I can't keep up with that. Um, but one thing that really impressed me with him not only was like how quick and able to learn the offense he was and how flexible he was from being able to do tight end. And then when I went out to fill right in at fullback and able to go full speed ahead, but he, he has, I mean, something I never had, which I wish I had, but he had like suction hands. Like whenever he created contact, he was able to like, like lock you in and literally you weren't able to disengage. I was always a guy that, that hit you and was constantly driving you and pestering you. He was the type of guy that can literally just suck and lock you up. So um, completely different game than I have than I was ever able to have. Um, very envious of his skill set compared to mine. But, um, you know, he there's big things ahead for him. He's a really good player. He's a good kid. Uh, he works his tail off. He, he, he goes about everything the right way. He um, Even when I got hurt last year, uh, I was walking around not real fast, but I was there for about two weeks when they were kind of converting him to fullback. And he was picking my brain left and right. We were, I was, I was going out on the field with him when everybody was gone and we were doing some drill work. Uh, I was walking him through some stuff, kind of giving him coaching points on how to block this, how to block that, how to adjust. Um, and, he, and he was just a sponge. He had questions every time, was asking me stuff, was very appreciative. And I, I, the day that I left, he even came up to me, he goes, Pat, like, uh, I know this is a very short time we've had together, but, but you're very instrumental on what's, what's going to happen in my career. And I really appreciate you, which, spoke volumes for only being there with him for two or three weeks. So um, I think big things are ahead for Reggie. So I'm pumped for him. I, th I think he just changed his number. Is, isn't he in the forties? 41, I believe. I yeah. Nice. So, so yeah. 86, 86 didn't look good in the backfield. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> and this isn't so much a question. You kind of touched upon it, but last year when, when we talked with Reggie for a story, he said that even before you, you had the stinger and the injury, you were just such a wealth of knowledge to him. And he said that that's something that he's going to take with him for the rest of his career in terms of even though there could be someone right on his heels, he's going to always be that that person that's going to share everything he knows because it's so important. So, um, you know, I just wanted to let you know that he, he was singing your praises even before that, even before the injury took place because he said that you really did help him early on in his time in Buffalo. That's awesome. I got chills with you saying that I, um, I mean, I've had several vets approach me during my career and be like, dude, Pat, why are you telling them all your, like your tricks to the trade? Like when, you know, you bring in, there's a, there's a full, another fullback at every camp. And they're like, Pat, why are you telling them to key this guy and key that guy? That's stuff that you've generated over time that, you know, like tricks to the trade. And I'm like, I'm not doing this game justice if I don't pass it along, guys. Like, if this dude's better than me. It's his job. Like, that's plain and simple. Like, it, like there's no way that I'm going to be able to trick the GM and the head coach. Like, if they know this dude's better than me, he's better than me. I'm going to give him the skill set to, to go out there and, and play at a high level because if, if it's not me doing it, I want somebody else doing it at a high level. So, especially, you know, it's my teammates asking me a question. I'm like, I don't want some – slap coming in here playing fullback in, in Buffalo or in Atlanta or wherever I was. I don't want somebody taking my job and not doing a good job. So I'm, I'm going to pass it along. So that was, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that about Reggie. Um, yeah, it was a great story you wrote, Ryan. Um, and, you know, one of the things 
happening in the league right now in the world. I mean, you can't really ignore it or get away from it. We try to kind of stay away from it as much as we can because I feel like there's COVID fatigue. But with training camp coming up tomorrow, I mean, it's it's a huge topic. And, you know, as somebody that was an NFLPA rep, this is something that, you know, you would have probably been in the thick of as, as the, yeah. the PA is working with the NFL to try to get, you know, come up with protocols and, and, and concessions here and there. You know, Cole Beasley's been pretty outspoken about, you know, his thoughts on it. How would you, as a team leader, how would you navigate that once you get back in the building? It look They put out a video today. It looks like everybody is simpatico. It doesn't look like there's any issues. But how do you navigate that when it is a, a topic that could potentially be polarizing? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a tough topic, and I'm really glad I don't have to sit on those protocol conversations anymore. We were having them, like, twice a week for – two or three months going into training camp last year. Um, I'm super grateful I'm not doing those anymore. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, like each person has their right. Like, you, you know, you can't force somebody to put something in their body. Um, you know, I, I got the vaccine um, as soon as I could. I my a pregnant wife. My son has asthma. So I had two high risk people in my household and I was just trying to mitigate the risk. Did I, was I, jumping for joy because I was going to get the needle and, and, and get the vaccine. No, I wasn't, but I knew it was best for my family. So I think, I mean, everybody has their own, own decision to make. Um, you know, I, I, I think the, what I would echo in the locker room is just protect the team. Like, don't, don't like, you know, if, um, if you don't want to get the vaccine, then you're going to have to go through different protocols. The guys that have the vaccine are going to go through and it. Your life might be a little more difficult. You might have to make some other life changes, but you're you're making the choice to not get the vaccine, so you have to be right in other areas. Um, I know we're having very similar conversations here in Columbia, South Carolina, with our ball club. Um, so it's uh, it's something we we won't escape uh, in the near future. Um, but it's um, it's a hot topic, um, and it looks like it's coming back full speed ahead with, with some of these cases that are popping back up. So hopefully um, we can get this stuff under control because football season is right around the corner, boys. Yeah, and, and Matt alluded to that social media video that the Bills put out today. I don't know if you saw it, but with Cole Beasley being so active on social media, there were some fans saying, like, could this split up the locker room? And everyone was just going right over to Cole Beasley. They were excited to see him. Is this a case where Buffalo has just built that culture so strong that fans really don't have to worry about there being any kind of division in the locker room? Yeah, I mean, Cole's not – Cole is very outspoken, and Cole is – Cole's a great human being, like loves his wife, loves his kids, loves his teammates, prepares like a freaking champion every single day in that locker room. So he, he has everybody's respect. And uh, I saw him and Jerry kind of went back and forth on on Twitter uh, about the COVID vaccine, too. And, and it's all in fun love and, and, and brotherly love. Um, no, there's, there's going to be no no divisiveness in that locker room. Cole's. Cole's a rock solid uh, leader, guy in that locker room, guy on that team. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that I, I personally love playing with because he, he was super prepared. He actually brought a lot of stuff that he had from um, from SMU in Dallas to Buffalo to help kind of integrate our offense, which helped get Josh rolling. So um, he, he's just the type of guy that makes everybody around him better. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just uh, reading off to the side here. Uh, going through all the questions that I wanted to ask you. And this one I had circled because I always get a kick out of finding out, 
you know, the inner workings of the team dynamic for you. I'm curious a year later, who do you still talk to from your time in Buffalo that you were really, really good friends with, or, you know, you became really strong buddies with that. You still kind of have a year, a year later, still have that relationship with them. Yeah, so I still talk to Josh a decent amount. Um, still talk to Dawson Knox, Tommy Sweeney, Matt Milano, um, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer. Uh, uh, texted with Tredavious a couple months ago. Um, Dion Dawkins, because now our offensive coordinator was with him at Temple, um, mm. Marcus Satterfield. So um, just kind of, I mean, the unfortunately the locker room, NFL locker room is a revolving door. There's always different guys in, different guys outside. There's probably – from my first couple of years, probably just a handful of guys left there. Reed Ferguson is another guy I, I keep in touch with. Um, but it's, um, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, I, Lee Smith, I was really, I was really close with Lee Smith. Um, so when he got traded to Atlanta, I still talk to him quite often. Uh, I'm actually really excited for him being in Atlanta now in that offense. It's really going to utilize him uh, setting the edge and blocking. So um, no, just, you know, the, the relationships you build, in your time in the NFL, it's, um, unfortunately they're short lived, but they're very, um, they're, they, they hold such a strong place in your heart. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you, you, when you're going to war with somebody and you trust, like when they know your family to, to the standpoint that you, they know why you're playing football, they know who you're taking care of and this and that it's, it just means more. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm super fired up for them to play this year and, and Hopefully, hopefully get, get bring the big thing home. I was never, I was so darn close to getting getting to bring the trophy home uh, and getting the big ring. So hopefully they can they can do it this year. And, and this is going kind of off topic, but uh, going back to talking with Sean and um, and Brandon when I when I was going through all that stuff, they they made it a point to remind me that I was that even if I wasn't there when I was planning on retiring, they said, even if you're not here, man, you're here. Like what the things that you did in this locker room, the culture you helped create, he's like, they, like you are a huge part of this. Like don't, don't get it twisted. Don't, don't, don't overlook this Pat. You did so much behind the scenes work and, and stuff here that you, you literally, you did a lot. Um, and I even texted with him, congrats on big wins, congrats on the playoffs. And they always sit me back with like, dude, you're a part of this. You're a part of this. Appreciate everything you did for us. So sorry for going off topic again, but those are my guys. <laughs> hey, no, no need to apologize. You know, you mentioned Dawson Knox being someone that you talk to a lot. There was a lot of rumors and speculation that the Bills were in on Zach Ertz earlier this offseason. Uh, but a lot of, but I feel like Dawson Knox brings a lot to the table from an athletic standpoint in terms of what he can do. And seeing how pass happy this, this offense was one year ago, if Dawson can work on the, the concentration, uh, the, the drops, he worked with the vision specialist this offseason, what could he, what dynamic could he bring to this offense? Oh, man, he's a freak. I mean, he's a 4'4, four, 4'5 four, four, guy um, that literally, I mean, we watched him in one on ones, run routes against corners and safeties, and literally just run right by him. So the, his athletic standpoint is like he's just a matchup nightmare for, for just about anybody. Um, so, you know, he, he was, you know, he's still kind of a baby. Like he was a walk on at Ole Miss. He's, well, this is his third year now in the NFL. Um, so, I mean, he's, I, I say he's a baby in a sense. Cause I mean, I don't, I don't think he scored a touchdown his senior year of, of college at Ole Miss. So he's obviously played a lot of ball, but 
but being prominent in the offense, like this is probably very new for him that he's going to be a guy that's going to be targeted a bunch. So um, he's a super talented guy. He prepares like a champ. He learned a lot from Lee Smith. Lee Smith did an incredible job mentoring that room. Um, but I mean, Dawson is a, is a heck of a blocker and a heck of a competitor too. Like he's, I mean, he, he has, he's like Reggie Gilliam with the, with those like, like suction hands, like he gets his hands on you. It's like, all right, game's over, buddy. You're done. Um, so he says a lot and he's very versatile, but, um, you know, he's, um, he's definitely a threat that they could, that could, they could really take advantage of if, if, uh, if they build that trust in him. It's something we've talked a lot about this offseason, like the patience you have to have for a young player like that, that, you know, obviously hasn't even been playing the position that long, but also the position itself is pretty hard. Like just talking to you guys and you, you had experience in this going from meeting room to meeting room. If you're a, a wide receiver and, or, you know, uh, who, I, whatever position you want to throw out there, you know, you, you kind of have one goal in mind. I mean, you might play special teams or do other things, mm-hmm. but for a guy like Dawson Knox, who's got a, be in the receiving room meeting, be in the offensive line meeting, the tight end meeting. It's a lot on your plate. And one guy in particular that you played with showed that sometimes patience pays off. Logan Thomas rewarded in a big way uh, out in Washington. I I think it pays that patience, especially at that position. Yeah, I was so fired up when I saw Logan got that deal. Um, He's He was just a pro. Um, I was very pumped to see his success last year and then him get the deal he got. So – you know, he's a great family man, loves his wife, loves his kids, um, went about the game the right way, you know, competed his tail off. I mean, he was a quarterback, converted to tight end, also a goal line receiver. Like, he did a little bit of everything. So, um, yeah, I think just as long as they stick the course with Dawson, like, he's he's the making model of, of a guy you want in a locker room. He's goes about his business. He, he's a true pro. He's he learned very quickly that the training room was his best friend and being able to go in there to make sure you're available because your best ability and regardless of what you're doing is availability, make sure you're out on the field. So um, he's, uh, I think big things are ahead for Dawson Knox. Final question. How do the bills get over the Kansas city chiefs mountain and, and knock off the chiefs, get to the super bowl? What do they have to do differently if they come up against Kansas city again in the playoffs? Oh, I mean, they're a juggernaut on offense. Uh, KC's, it's it's just tough. Um, you know, it's always a shootout. I think, um, I think the, I mean, shoot, I mean, Buffalo's offense and defense kind of match up not not bad against them at all. So I think the, I think if uh, if little uh, little Isaiah McKenzie can return a punt or a kickoff for a touchdown, that's the difference in the game right there. So one big special teams play, and that's the difference. As soon as you get the momentum changed, I don't know if uh, if Casey will be able to rebound against the Sean McDermott defense. Awesome stuff. Patrick DeMarco coming and bringing it for 40 minutes on a Tuesday night right after putting the kids to bed. We appreciate you. Uh, we haven't been in the locker room, so I can't even say I miss you in the locker room. I guess I miss you on the Zoom calls, but really, who who really misses anything on the Zoom calls, right? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, but thank you so much, sir. Have, have yourself a great night, and hopefully we can talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. Go Bills. Thanks, Pat. Take care. All right, Pat DeMarco, man. That was awesome. And as I knew it would be, as we were talking about it, Ryan, and stick around, guys. We have more show here. Uh, don't don't go anywhere. we got some things we want to talk about. we got a big day tomorrow. Uh, we'll set that up as well. But as we were talking about this interview, 
this was a guy that, you know, a lot of times, a lot of the, the interactions I've had, I had with Patrick DeMarco in the locker room didn't make it into a story or a podcast or anything. He was a guy that you could just kind of walk by and start talking to about football and learn something about it. And that's what I missed the most about the locker room setting. Um, because as a reporter, my goal is to go in there and learn as much about this as possible. I didn't play football. I I, I would say, you know, a, a good chunk of, you know, NFL reporters didn't play football necessarily. So there's a constant everyday education happening. And I think that that's a great way to go about it because I think most fans are in so, at some stage of the process of learning the game. So he was always somebody that was so gracious with his time, obviously tonight, uh, but has a lot to offer and a lot of wisdom. That was, that was a super fun interview. Yeah, that was great. A wealth of knowledge there. Uh, the, the kids at South Carolina are going to benefit from having Pat DeMarco uh, working with them, whether it's in that coach or analyst role. So, you know, the the future looks bright if you're a South Carolina football fan. He, he's definitely going to do a great job there. Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets. Tops loves local. Tops is proud to partner with over 200 local growers to supply Tops with their freshest homegrown fruits and vegetables produced. Pick this morning can be on your table tonight. We have a couple topics that I want to get into here, Ryan, before we transition and set up tomorrow, because tomorrow we, the grind starts every single day. If there's a practice, you're going to see this face, probably this shirt, that face. He'll have the shirt on too. And we're going to be talking about everything that happens that we can talk about out of practice. We'll have some video, obviously, tomorrow. Ryan will be up on Saturday at the uh, first fan practice. That's going to be fun. And that's a practice that's great, Ryan, because we'll really be able to dive into it. But let's set up this, this Chandler, Chandler Jones um, buzz early in the week. I think it's very intriguing because Chandler Jones, uh, it was reported on Sunday, ESPN, Jeremy's, Jeremy Fowler, uh, he requested a trade at some point this offseason, which is, you know, eye popping at the start because you figure they went out and gave that big deal to JJ Watt to pair him with Chandler Jones. And now Chandler Jones wants out, although a report today said, you know, they were very, uh, he, he was in, uh, Cliff Kingsbury said he was in the building. And uh, I can't remember the exact word, but I thought it was uh, funny. But I, I guess he's, he's in good spirits. And, you know, obviously, you know, you start thinking about a potential trade because that's one area I would say for the Bills, even with all the moves that they made and all the different, you know, names that are in play on that defensive line that we've talked quite a bit about, adding that big time surefire pass rusher is intriguing. And I, you were on the, uh, I'll let you get into it a little bit, but you were on the uh, Danger and Batagular, our buddies over at Rochester, uh, which I'm super bummed about at. Uh, not being in uh, Pittsburgh this week, uh, talking about the potential of a deal. Why don't you get into a little bit about that? And I, I'm going to follow up with why I think there might be a little bit more juice here than I think maybe some fans might think there is. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, first, shout out to Greg Thompson because he he kind of works with some cap numbers. He's really good with that. And he, he kind of put something out there too that I looked into it and it makes a lot of sense. It, it would be tough for the bills to make a deal like that because of the financials around it. You're not only sending a high draft pick to Arizona. If you want to get Chandler Jones, you're sending a Mario Addison, you're sending uh, another player maybe to kind of offset the, the contract to make the numbers work for both parties. And that's where it gets complicated in today's NFL. You usually see those player trades. It's, it's some picks, maybe it's player for player, uh, but I, I think it could get very complicated very fast. You also have to look at the, the fact that 
Uh, Eric Washington is very familiar with Mario Addison. I know Mario Addison is is coming off of a bit of a down year in his first year in Buffalo, but he, he's trimmed down a little bit. Uh, I think he's going to come in with a chip on his shoulder. He knows the system really well. It, it would be great to get someone like Chandler Jones, someone from this area growing up in Rochester, playing at Syracuse. Uh, but at the same time, it's also one of those things where the, the bills would be challenged, in my opinion, to make it work and make it work at this point so close to the start of camp. Here's the thing for me. I think I agree with those things that you just said. I, I do think that there would have to be some gymnastics done, uh, but I think that there are some levers that Brandon Bean can pull if he thinks that you know this is a worthwhile move. I mean, if you go back to um, – I'm looking it up here because I want the exact numbers. I should have had this going into the show today because I knew we were going to be talking about this. Um, but I had a show beforehand, so I don't have it. So I'm looking it up as we talk. And, you know, sometimes I think, like, we're a little bit too prepared. I like doing stuff on the fly so you feel a part of the process. Um, you know, I go back to Kansas City in 2019 when they traded for Frank Clark. And they, they traded for him, extended him. And they weren't paying Patrick Mahomes yet similarly to the bills not playing josh allen yet but they knew that that was coming they still made the deal for frank, frank clark they gave him a five-year 105 million dollar contract make you know giving him that 20 million per season and if you go back and and really look at it i'm, I'm bringing it up now because i want to um talk about it you know he didn't have a great year last year in 2020 like i i, I didn't think that he was super um impressive you know, for the most part of the year, I thought he played pretty well against the bills, but if you go back to 2019, the impact that he had for that defense, three sacks against Houston in their first playoff game, a win 51 31. Um, and they had that defense had to show up because I, even with as well as they played and Frank Clark having three sacks, you know, Deshaun Watson and the Texans still put up 31. Um, Tennessee had a sack in the super bowl against San Francisco had a sack. And so that's the kind of production that I think that warrants consideration for a move like this. So if you if if I'm sitting there and I'm Brandon Bean, you know, I put up a story on Monday about Peter King, send a first round pick and go out and get a pass rusher. You, you have to consider that. And I think due diligence will be done because you know Brandon Bean, he does that. I mean, they they were going back a year looking into Stefan Diggs before they pulled the were able to pull the trigger on that. I think that they're doing their due diligence on probably a lot of different potential scenarios of guys that could potentially uh, become available. In this case, I think it just comes down to, I don't think it's so much the money and the assets and all that kind of stuff. That That is what it is. But if you have a chance to add the caliber of player that Chandler Jones is, I think you, you, you push that aside and you, and you worry about that later. I think what it comes down to more than anything for me is at 31 years old, Frank Clark was 26 when they made that deal and gave him an extension at 31 years old. Can you trust him to stay healthy? Can you trust him to have that kind of impact? Because in a lot of ways, if you're going to give him, you know, set the market with an extension with him, it's kind of a lot of the same thing that just happened with JJ Watt that we were pretty critical of Arizona for. Now I know JJ Watt, has 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 played the last two years and and the production has been kind of trending downwards and it was just two years ago that Chandler Jones had 19 sacks but those are valid questions that I think you're asking yourself if you're in the room with Brandon Bean yeah and that's more than fair when it comes I, I know a lot of fans have scoffed at the trading a first round pick uh, but you have to remember if the Bills get a Chandler Jones and if their offense plays the way that it did 
one year ago. You're, you're looking at a defense that will be improved, an offense that's already one of the best in the league, and you're probably picking late 20s or, in, in Buffalo's case, they're hoping the, the last pick in the first round at 32. And, and the type of prospect you get at 32 isn't necessarily going to come in and, and be a day one starter on a team. So you have to think of it from that perspective. And then, you know, one other thing to your credit, to your point that could work out in the, in the favor if they are really interested is the fact that Addison comes off the books this year. Jerry Hughes comes off the books this year. You want to have some kind of veteran presence in that room for AJ Epineza in 2022, entering his third year for Greg Rousseau, for Boogie Basham, who would be entering their second year in 2022. You don't just want to get rid of all your veterans and have no one there. Now, mind you, Chandler Jones would have to come in and learn the system, but he's been in the NFL long enough where I don't think that would be an issue transitioning to this team. So, you know, if they did feel like there is a proven entity out there at defensive end, someone that could be a difference maker, whether it's Jones or whether it's someone else, I do see that viewpoint. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you. If you're watching on Facebook and Twitter, thank you as well. Uh, hit that like button and subscribe on YouTube. We really appreciate it. A um, couple more things before we get out of here, but I do want to remind you, make sure you're locked in uh watching the show as training camp begins because you know you're going to get daily coverage we are on the ground we are in the building you're going to want all of those observations and and everything like that stay tuned we got some some big plans for the show i have some fun interviews that i hopefully uh we can get lined up maybe we'll get a player or two during training camp uh we can do some one-on-ones now that might be fun uh, if we could do some type of live situation i'm working on on maybe something like that um, Ryan, I want to ask you this before we go. And if anybody else, um, you know, has something specific that you want, um, just to get in these last eight minutes, you know, put in the chat, we'll, we'll check it out. What's your big, you know, put on the blinders, if you will. Uh, and, and tell me what your big thought is on the eve of training camp. What are you looking towards most tomorrow, um, starting and, and throughout maybe the first week of training camp? You know, I think it's going to come to one specific player. I want to see the chemistry between Josh Allen and Emmanuel Sanders. They were a little bit off in in the spring where where they weren't on the same page. The one was running the wrong route, uh, a misplayed ball. And I know that's really a small topic when you you have Stephon Diggs, you have Cole Beasley. There's the COVID conversation. There's competitions at cornerback number two. But I feel despite his age that Emmanuel Sanders can come into Buffalo and play a big role on this offense. I'm not, uh, I'm saying like six to 800 yard type of role on this team. So I want to see, are they on the same page here early on in camp? Is it something that they can build on? So that way, when they find themselves at week one, that they hit the ground running, because let's be honest, let's, let's get them on the same page at training camp. So that way these starters are playing the smallest amount of reps possible during the preseason. You want these guys healthy for week one. You don't want to have to to get them out there on the field for significant reps in, in the preseason, uh, especially when you're, you're already down to a few games. You, you lost one of those preseason games. So I want to see if these two players can get on the same page early on because I really do think that Sanders can play a big role alongside Diggs, Beasley, Gabriel Davis, and company. You know, I've saw, I saw some comments in here about Xavier Howard uh, as well, maybe debating between if you were to go after a guy, what does it make more sense, a pass rusher or a cornerback? I'll always probably go on the side of a cornerback and this kind of or uh, defensive end. And this ties into, um, you know, what I'm most excited about. So bear, bear with me here. You know, 
I really, truly do not feel the Bills need another cornerback. I think you said it perfectly on the show uh, in Rochester on Monday. Levi Wallace is the veteran that the Bills have kind of always wanted to have on the roster. He's 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 kind of been on the roster. He's come up, you know, through the system and in the culture. He sets a tone and a standard there that I think kind of replicates what an EJ Gaines and a Kevin Johnson did before him, uh, a Josh Norman even. So, so I think you got that covered. And I think Dane Jackson now is the guy that's going to battle him. Does bringing in a guy like Steven Nelson add to the competition? Sure, but I think this competition is as juicy as it gets. I led with it in my four position battles to watch because I think this one has the chance to be the highest level of play at the position. I'm excited to watch how Cody Ford is pushed by Ike Butker and Forrest Lamp. I think Jacob Hauser could give Dawson Knox some, a push as well. And we all know our thoughts on the defensive line and all the different mix and match there as well. I do feel bad. I didn't bring up the uh, the returner competition in my story. In hindsight, I probably should have. But I kind of going into it think that you know it's really Isaiah McKenzie's job to lose. So we'll see how that all plays out. Anyway, I think that cornerback is – set right now i think that they could always kind of go out there and bring in another guy uh they have cam lewis they have rashad wild goose you just spent a six-round draft pick a guy that you know was taken a year or a round earlier than dane jackson was taken in 2020 so if there is an issue and you do need to really reach into your depth a guy like Rashad Wild Goose is probably going to get a similar opportunity that Levi Wallace did or that um, Dane Jackson got last year. And Rashad Wild Goose got the benefit of a spring. So I think you want to see what you have in a lot of these guys. I think Dave Jackson is must-see TV. I can't wait till he's on the field in the preseason, obviously in, in practices as well. And I think that for me, that's what, I, what I'm what i keyed in on the most uh, is that cornerback two uh, battle maybe a 1A to a 1B on everything that's going on the defensive line. Yeah, I think you hit it home. And Howard specifically, it's not even worth the conversation. You don't see divisional trades very often. Um, you know, sometimes you see the conference trades, but even that can be difficult sometimes. Teams don't want to send a star player to their own conference, let alone their own division. So it, it would take quite the haul for Buffalo or any other AFC East team to convince Miami to trade him. And, and that's just not worth it, especially someone that uh, wants to get a new deal in place because of the way his last one was structured. That's not in Buffalo's best interest. And, and remember, I, I feel like this coaching staff, this front office, they have a lot of confidence in the defensive back coaches on this team and, and the fact of what they did with Levi Wallace when he was an undrafted free agent and what they did last year with Dane Jackson, the development they saw out of Cam Lewis, Taron Johnson, the list goes on and on. I think that they feel like this co this regime, this coaching staff can bring along a wild goose and make him a contributor by midseason. I'm not sitting here saying he's taking a starting role. But he brings a little bit more than than even Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson do from an athleticism perspective in terms of what he can do covering ground, in my opinion. So I, I think that they're going to kind of set uh, their sights on what they have now. If an injury occurs, then by all means, yeah, you might have to bring in a veteran to kind of make sure that you're, you're comfortable with what you have there going into week one. But this coaching staff, I, I think they're very confident in, in what they have and the coaching staff that they have back there. Yeah, I mean, he's going to sign a contract wherever he ends up that's going to be richer, likelier, 
than Tredavious White's contract. And when you're when you're about to pay your quarterback, you're not going to pay two cornerbacks, especially this regime's not going to play two cornerbacks when you know that Sean McDermott has a little bit of a swagger when it comes to that defensive backs room. You've seen what he was able to do at say at the safety position, go out and find guys that maybe other teams undervalued in Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, and really Tredavious White also. Where they got him 27th overall. He should have been a top five pick with the way that he's played the last four years. So I think they like their ability to find uh talent, uh cheaper talent uh to kind of move in there. And I think it comes down to this defensive line too. As good as that cornerback's gonna be, that CB2. You need better line play. You need better pressure put on quarterbacks. You need to be better against the run. And I think that that feeds into the success of that secondary. All right. One more read. We're going to get out of here. Thank you so much for sticking with us. This was a fun show, man. This is the kind of show I rushed home. Like I I felt kind of a little bit unprepared. Uh, We had our full outline of what I wanted to talk to him about, but I I just felt like, man, I wish I – would have put could have put this a different night but man it was awesome the way that they all those kind of shows always work out that way and um you know this charges me up right before training camp i'm so like pumped up ready to get out to the practice field tomorrow 8 30 a.m brandon bean is going to be sitting in a tent the media is going to be there we will bring you coverage keep it locked into syracuse.com newyorkupstate.com we'll have you guys covered tops fresh burger bar with over 30 varieties of beef turkey chicken plant-based and gourmet blend burgers ready to grill Top's Fresh Burger Bar has you smiling all summer long. Summer is heating up, Ryan. I cannot wait for tomorrow. We will be back on this channel. Shout, reactions, observations. Catch us tomorrow. Have a good night, everybody.